uh, John chapter 9. And so as, we, as, as I read this, as we uh, prepare for Mike to illuminate this text for us, I, just, I ask that um, you take these words into your heart, you, you um, meditate over them as they're read, uh, because these are not just words, these are, um, this is the Spirit of God alive in this text. So let's read together. So as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begged, have seen him begging and asked him, Is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he said, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you. We receive the words that you've given us, the, the words that you've entrusted to us throughout time, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us now and that he would uh, reveal to us the purpose and the meaning um, of these words and that what Pastor Mike has to say right now would, um, would strike us and would... Um, would convict us and would show us that purpose, that truth, and that any time, just like any time we come into your presence, Father, we, we ask that, that these moments would transform us, either in a radical way or bit by bit, Father, whatever that is, we, we ask that, that these words have their intended effect and that you would be with us. In your name we pray, amen. I also want to take a minute to remind you about the Haiti mission presentation um, next week um, here in our sanctuary following worship. Simon did a nice job of that. And we're going to do one thing that we don't normally do. Uh, Dylan, come on right up here. Turn around and face those people. This right here is Dylan Fawcett. Dylan just graduated from Linmar. Uh, He's going off to the University of Dubuque to be a student there. And all that's exciting. But why I have him here is that he has been hired as the... uh, ministry intern at Christ uh, United Methodist Church in Davenport. And so um, as we send people on ministry, we pray for them. So Dylan, turn around, kneel down, put his hand, put your hands on him. Let's go. Anybody wants to put hands on him? Let's There's room for more. Lots of hands. Oh God, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray for Dylan today. 
For Lord, we have watched him from when he was small to now when he is tall. We have seen him grow from a relatively exuberant immature to very mature and filled with ministry. And Lord, we know that you're in the center of his heart. And so we ask that you strengthen him and empower him, that your Holy Spirit might run through him, that as he goes to to serve with another Pastor Mike and their crew uh, at Christ United Methodist Church in Davenport, that he might be inspired daily, that uh, he might have the multiplication of time so that he might be able to do his ministry and his studies uh, with, uh, well, with great fervency, but also with the appropriate amount of time. So, Lord, we pray your blessing on Dylan Fawcett, who we now send in your name to do ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Give Dylan a praise. Shout out to God. <laughs> well, I, I said tall in the prayer, apparently, and Caleb's now abusing him. So I, <clears throat> We love the young at this in every church, I'm assuming, and we send people into ministry all the time, so we're very thankful to send Dylan into ministry. And you heard last week, and I'm up a pretty good, against a pretty good challenge, because last week our ministry intern, Natalie Payton, came and preached, and, and I'll tell you what, she knocked it out of the park. And so there's this huge challenge in front of me. First of all, it was a really, really good sermon. Secondly, she's absolutely adorable, right? So she's got that going for her, and she's young. And I got nothing for that, okay? <clears throat> so much so, I was talking to a couple of our seventh graders, they're rising eighth graders now, about going back to school, and they're so excited and thrilled to go back to school. Yes, they are. That's the official line. And I, so I was like, why are you guys so worried about going back to school? And they said, oh, history. I'm like, well, what are you studying history in eighth grade? And they started telling me and stuff like that. And they're like, why, Pastor Mike? One of them said to me, why, Pastor Mike? What did you study in history? Now, get this. This is what they said to me. The one said, he didn't study any history. And he's like, you didn't have to study history, Pastor Mike? And the other kid said, no. He just wrote down what he was doing, and that is our history. I'm like, how mean is that? So there's a lot going against me right now. But I came with the only tool that I need in this tool shed. We've got the word of God and we're going to stand upon it, but I need your prayers, so let's pray. God, we thank you in advance for how you're going to move in these few moments here in this particular teaching time through this sermon. The words are not that spectacular, but the God behind them we know is. So make of them something extraordinary for this congregation gathered here together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get after it. So there's this colossal human challenge in all things to see what we're supposed to see. It's this huge challenge before us all the time. You guys see this all, you know, different places you go. I remember Teresa and I and the kids were at Grand Canyon. We were at the north rim of the Grand Canyon a few years ago. And we're camping up there and everything like that. And we went down there. You know, they kind of funnel you. Even though it's this massive expanse, they funnel you to these certain viewing observation places. We're on one of those observation places. And we got our hands up against the fence, you know, so you don't plummet to your death in that huge chasm that the Colorado River's made. And we've got our binoculars. We're looking at the rock formations. And, of course, there's tourists after tourists after tourists, you know, kind of forming around us, you know, you know coming to look at the Grand Canyon. And, and so I remember there's this family. They were obviously from New York or New Jersey. I don't know if the exact accent, but from far away, 
You know, they had to, come on, you guys, get down here, right? You know, that thing going on. So all these people, and the dad, you know, he wasn't like Chevy Chase in vacation or whoever the new guy is in vacation. He wasn't like so crazy about vacation. But, you know, he had put together a lot of time and effort and money to get his family to the Grand Canyon, and he wanted them to see it. So he's like, come on, you guys, go down there, coming down the steps. And the one little boy, he's like seven or something like that, he kept saying, Dad, look at the sign. Dad, look at the sign. And his dad kind of glanced up, but keep walking. Finally, Dad, look at the sign. So he gets his whole family down here, and they're viewing there, except this one little kid, and he's saying, Dad, look, look. He's got his back to the Grand Canyon. He's not seeing what his dad wanted him to see. He's not seeing what he's supposed to see. And finally, his dad says, what? He says, look, Dad, at the sign. And he's like, what? He says, Dad. Ice cream cones are only a dollar here. Can you imagine the dad's thought process? I drug you all the way across the country. Just, but, but, I mean, we do that all the time. We say, you know, are, are we seeing what we're supposed to be? I, I'll bet most of you have had this one happen. Okay, it's, I don't know, 8 o'clock. And, and you're waiting for someone you beloved. Maybe a child, maybe your parents, maybe your wife. You're waiting. They're supposed to be there at 8. They said they'd be there at 8. And they have a car. And it's 8.10 now. Where are they at? You don't know. You're doing stuff. What's going on? Why haven't they? And it's 8.20. And then you start getting really nervous. And your, your spirit starts churning in you. And you start thinking. You start, you know, you know, running out scenarios in your mind. And then it's 8.30. And they're not there. You're like, what is wrong? You're not even sure if they have clean underwear on. If they've had an accident or something like that. That's a mother thing. All right. Okay. So, so you're like, where are they at? Where are they at? And then finally it's like 8.35. You're like, oh my gosh. Where are they at? And, and they come in. And you've been so worried. And your heart leaps with happiness. And what do you say? Three people mouthed it to me. That's awesome. Where have you been? The answer of which being trying to get here, right? But, but we say, where have you been? Our heart is leaping with joy because they're in front of us. We can see the, that one or those ones that we were intensely concerned about, completely worried about. Our spirit was all churned up and we should be dancing. Yeah, they're home, they're safe. We go, where have you been? Are we seeing what we're supposed to see? That's the human ch- I know we got to discipline them if they broke curfew and all that. Be happy first, discipline second. But you understand, the human challenge is... Are we seeing what we're supposed to see? So what are we supposed to see here in this miracle that, that Jesus performs? Is, is it the methodology by which Jesus heals? Is it the methods through which? I mean, because knowing how things are done thrill us. I get the Discovery Channel. I love that show, how it's done, how, how it's made. Do you guys get that one? Is that awesome? Because they can teach you how to make a paper clip all the way to a nuclear reactor. I love that. And I've got a few things going on in my backyard right now. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But I love that. And, you know, we love to know how to make things. How we, know, we, need, we love to, to know how things are done. For instance, if you wanted to know how to make the best oatmeal mint chocolate chip cookie, check this out. You could just get the United Methodist Women cookbook for $15. Yeah, is that, that's my shameless product placement today. You can get your... <laughs> you can get your uh, cookbook today. But see, we like knowing. You know, we follow the recipe. You see how it's done. We've got YouTube and Pinterest and all these things that, that show us how things are done. So when we have Jesus, would I say it wrong? I don't care. You guys are just out watching cat videos anyway. So um, what is it, Pinterest? Yeah, that's what I said. All right. <laughs> don't talk Spanish to me. 
<laughs> Didn't we already go through the part that I was old, right? I'd just be glad I even heard you talking. All right. Um, so, so we get to this miracle of Jesus. And we say, how does he do it? How does he, he do it? I mean, we see what happens is he, he spits on the ground and mixes up the mud and then takes it and, and shoves it in, in this guy's eye. And, and so we, we, we wonder how, how that's done. I mean, so we say, that that's how you do it. Jesus heals using mud. That's, that's how he does it. That's the formula. You get some mud and Jesus can heal you. I, you know, I'll tell you, I, you know, we get so focused on the methodology that we, we miss the point, you know, because, you know, is there special dirt there? I've read a paper on this, that the dirt had the right nutrients in it and Jesus had eaten the right things, had enzymes, and when he spit, it just naturally healed the guy. Okay, um, it's on Google. You can look it up. But it's like we, we're so concerned with how he did it, so we want to pigeonhole Jesus and say, well, he heals with mud. No, that's not what happens. See, Jesus doesn't allow himself to be stuck in a formula. He constantly is changing his, his methodologies because he wants to show God's power, not a formula by doing things. Because sometimes when Jesus heals thing, people, he uses natural ailments, like the dirt he used here. Sometimes when Jesus heals people, he, he touches them. Sometimes when Jesus heals people, they, they come by, they touch him. Sometimes Jesus heals people because a sinner has come to him and said, help my unbelief, please heal me, and Jesus heals him. Sometimes when Jesus heals people, a group of friends have bought another, brought another person. That person may or may not be a believer, but because of their faith, Jesus heals them. Sometimes Jesus heals people because a father or a mother has come to him and said, please, please heal my son or, or my daughter, and, and Jesus heals them. And sometimes Jesus heals people just because he wants to heal them. There, there's no formula there. So, so what are we supposed to see here? Is it the methodology that Jesus uses? No. That, that's not... What's important? What are we supposed to see here? We ask our question. I mean, what is it we're supposed to be looking at it? Did, did somebody do something wrong to create this? Did, did someone make this problem happen to this guy? I mean, as important as it is to, 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 for us sometimes to see how something is fixed, we want to see how it got broken. I live in a whole city full of engineers, right? And I love you people. But you're always trying to figure out how to break stuff. How does this break? What will break this? Okay, and so we figure out what. So we spend a lot of time not just figuring out how how something gets fixed, but 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 how it got broken. This just a couple weeks ago, this happened in my house. Teresa walked in. I was you know she was getting home from work a little bit later than I was, and so I was cooking something. I said to her, "Honey, I fixed the Corolla's bumper." She said, "Great. How did it get broken?" It's, it's like this, see, you guys understand that. So, like, I'm, I'm at St. Luke's Rehabilitation Center and seeing one of our members, and I'm backing out into the alley. I'm backing out like this, and I'm, I'm, I've got the right of way. I'm backing out, and this telephone pole's, like, going this way, all right? <laughs> and it didn't stop. It didn't stop, Sabra. It did not. It hit me. And, and, and so then, Teresa, how'd you broke I, I beat it to death with a... With a uh, a broomstick handle actually from underneath and, and it fixed. But you know, how? How, how do we fix stuff? How, how did it get broke? Well, the disciples say, 
How did this get broke? How did this guy get so broken? Who's, whose sin is responsible for this lifetime of, of blindness? Why, why can't he see? Is it somebody's fault? And then, of course, they go right to their scriptures and they say, is it because of what his parents did? And, and, and Jesus says, wait, wait a second. Now, it makes sense for them to do that because Old Testament Christianity had this, this or Old Testament uh, Jewish theology had this idea that if your parents did something, uh, highness, you know, the, the sin for it would pour onto you and maybe you're the generation behind you and, and you would be punished for it. So, so their question is actually quite natural to say, well, did they do something bad which caused their child to be born? Is that how God is punishing? It's a very cause and effect mentality the Jewish world has that you do this and this happens. And Jesus said, no, it's not because they're saying, well, what about him? Did he do something wrong? Which he would have had to have done in utero, by the way, because he was born blind. Is, is God punishing him by making him blind? And Jesus says, no, that, that's, that's not what we're seeing. What, I mean, what are we supposed to see here? Did he do something wrong to cause this? And Jesus says, no, no, this is what we're supposed to see. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Understand what's going on here. Take a look at that scripture. The question is, what caused this? So, so Jesus, are you saying that this man has been blind since the day of his birth for this moment? The answer has to be yes, isn't it? Jesus says, well, yes, because this happened, which the this is his blindness, happened so that the power of God could be seen through him from this moment and on down the way. What are we supposed to see? The man washed and came back seen. He washed. He went to the pool. He washed and he came back seen. That who had no sight had sight. So is there magic in the mud? Is there magic in the water? The spit Jesus used? Where there's some, something in the incantation that Jesus said when he put the mud on there? No. And do you think the guy who didn't have sight, who now has sight, cares? No. All he knows is that he's healed. So this is what we're supposed to see. This is what we're supposed to see, that the man went and washed and came back seeing, and because of that, the neighborhood changed. His whole neighborhood changed because of this. Imagine this. The people that had known this guy, he's an adult. He's out begging. So they'd seen him around a lot, and they'd say, hey, you know that guy that's walking around over there who can apparently see everything? Isn't he the guy that was always begging? You know, us for money? And they say, some of them said, well, yeah, that's him. Others said, no, it's another guy who looks like him. So there's another dude that looks like the beggar that wears the same clothes and stuff. And they keep talking around him and stuff. And finally, the, the guy who, the beggar who had been a beggar, because you can't really have employment in ancient Israel when you're blind, said, hey, um, I'm the guy. That, that's me. And they said, what happens? And he tells them. He tells them exactly what happened. And, and the point was that the power of God is seen in him. The power of God is seen in the one that could not see, but now has vision to walk unabated wherever he wants to go. So what are we supposed to do about what we see? If we start seeing the right things, what is it that we're supposed to do about what we're seeing? Well, Jesus displays God's power so that it can be seen in you. Jesus displays God's power so that it can be seen in you. And so, so I want to tell you four things about this. First, testify to the miracles that happen in you. You know, a number of months ago, 
we preached on John chapter 2, Jesus changing water into wine. We talked about, uh, Keith and I both, uh, you know, made a comment about how we believe in miracles, how, how God can transform the world and our particular worlds and things in our lives. And, and it was so exciting and somewhat astonishing, actually, afterwards, as people came to me one after another, not, not two or three, twenties, and even yet this morning, later today, uh, people, or earlier today, people came to me and told me how God had worked these miraculous things, small and large, in their lives. And I tell you, you got to testify to them. And I, I want to testify to one right now. You heard some words that Simon said. I want to tell you a little story. It's, it's not about me. I just happen to be in it. Last Sunday afternoon, or Sunday afternoon, when we went home from church, Teresa and I had had, you know, whatever, a little lunch or whatever, and my phone rang. And I'm thinking, man, it would be cool to take a nap, but I'm going to answer this phone. I answered, and it's a guy named Scott Stevens who comes to our church. And he says to me, Mike, there are ambulances, police, fire all over the Nelson's house across the street from us. Now, Ryan and Stacy Nelson were married right here in this sanctuary by me about a dozen years ago. He's an optometrist in South Marion. Grew up, went to Linmar. They grew up actually next door to each other, so they're not, and they bought the house, one of the houses that they lived in, and they live in now, but Ryan had gone absolutely blue, and there was nothing. CPR, lots of problems, defibbed a couple times. Just a 34-year-old man, uh, young enough that one of his children is still nursing, of his three children. So, of course, obviously, the world has fallen apart. They get him down to Mercy hospital and of course i rushed in there around them the, you know his he's got a twin brother his twin brother's there um his his uh, parents have finally arrived from where they live and and uh, stacy's there and of course uh, people uh, you know and and they're but there's nothing here I mean, ryan is out he is not conscious he's barely having a heartbeat on his own and they're giving him oxygen lots i mean down the guts oxygen and that's sunday Nothing changed on Sunday. On Monday, when I went down to visit, they said about Ryan, 20% chance he's going to survive this. He was a 34-year-old man. And it was at that moment where, where uh, uh, the church where they lead, which is at New Covenant now, and the, and the church, uh, I mean, they're small group leaders, and um, our church and I with his brothers got down on our faces in that, emergent, in that intensive care room and said, you know, God, we're going to unapologetically and unashamedly pray for a miracle. We, don't, we know it's your will. Just like in the garden when Jesus says, hey, Lord, if there's any way you can take this glass away from me, do it, but if not, your will, okay? So, I mean, we just prayed and prayed, and it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the power of God, and hundreds were praying that prayer. And this was Monday when they gave him a 20% chance to live. That is not good odds, okay? Wednesday, the neurologist had called Stacy and said, I need to see you at noon. Will you be in the hospital? Of course, she hadn't been anywhere since Sunday. About Ryan. The point of that conversation was going to be end-of-life decision-making because there wasn't the kind of brain function that a person should have, having been that unconscious for that long and all that sort of thing. About nine in the morning, in his bed, unconscious for three days, Ryan opens his eyes, looks at his brother, and waves. They think it's, you know, reflex. So they said, make the peace sign with your right hand. So then all kinds of people run in there. We've got to test him. They said, push on the gas pedal. He pushes his right foot like he's working the gas pedal. They said, now push in the clutch. He doesn't do anything. Matt, his twin brother, says, he's never driven a stick shift. 
Wiggle your left foot. He wiggles his left foot. So then the neurologist is bringing, I know what she brought in, all them cats that scan people and all this stuff. She's got all kinds of stuff going on and these tests and stuff like that. And about an hour before she was supposed to have this conversation with a wife, a 34-year-old wife, to say, it's time to turn some machines off and let them go. She steps back. There is no explanation for any of this. It can only be, it's a medical opinion by someone that's been to Iowa and Mayo. It can only be a miracle. Now that was Wednesday. Friday, Ryan's cracking jokes. He's got the air thing out of him. He's got the drain thing out of him. He's still in intensive care and it's going to be Friday. He's cracking jokes. He's talking to people by name. His, his cognitive skills are coming up. And today I just talked to his father-in-law who was here at one of the previous services. They are not making plans for end of life. They're talking about plans for rest of life. Amen. Amen. This is a miracle of God because there was no life and now there is life. Now we don't know, right? We don't know how it's all going to play out, but I'm telling you this, I'm testifying here in this scary land of disbelief to this miracle. And I tell anyone that's have a miracle that's been in their life to get out in the scary land of disbelief and testify to it. And what I mean by the scary land of disbelief is that there's a hundred people in Marion that are going to hear this story and say, nah, I bet something happened. I bet he wiggled in there or I bet one of them concoctions of medicine hit the right note and came about. I, I trust the doctors. They got 20 of them around there and they're all saying, man, we don't know. We don't happen to this dude. We just know he was dead. Now he's alive. What else you need to know? So testify. You've got small miracles. You've got big miracles. Don't hold them back. That's number one. Number two, share your moments of God's power. Jesus displays God's power in you partially for you, but also greatly so it can be seen in you. Share your moments. Share your moments in God's power. You know, as a Christian, as someone that's been at least lingering around the church or in Bible studies or, or been in these summer games, camps or something like that, they, they, there are these moments in your life, 1, 5, 20, I don't know, where, where you feel intensely close to God and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that in that moment, if anybody were asking you, does God exist? You're like, there ain't no way he doesn't. Because you're in him, you're with him right in that moment. There is no place else that you'd rather be than in that moment. I, I can remember it happened right here. Some of you remember you've been around here long enough to remember a day when we had been saying for about a month that we we're going to have a forgiveness service where we offered forgiveness, where people that have been carrying something around for a long time. And I, I preached a sermon on when Elisha goes to the pool and God says, throw some salt in this brackish water. And the brackish water turns from brackish to, 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 to fresh and people can drink in it and still drink from that pool today. And, and on that particular day, it's kind of an image, as a visual. I went to Menards and bought salt pellets. I, I use the rest of them in my water softener, I admit it. But we brought these big buckets of salt pellets here. And, and at the end of the service, people that were desiring forgiveness came forward and, and we placed them in their hand. And, and I've been in people's homes and I was in a guy's car the other day that still has a salt pellet because it was so potent. But let me tell you about just one. It was at, our, it was at this service, 11 o'clock service. We had a fellow that came down and he, he nestled in, he took his salt pellet from me right there, and he, he went over there, and he, he started to do what I would call guy cry. 
you know, where you've got this shake thing going on. I mean, he's like weeping out of control, facing the altar and stuff. I mean, he's just weeping, and it's not coming out of his nose, and there's tears and all this. And, and, and some friends of his came up. They started ministering to him, kind of like we were ministering to him, except to, to Dylan a few minutes ago, but to a more extreme level. They were beside him. They were hugging him. Because he was in a moment. I mean, he was in a moment. And it was appropriate in that particular worship service to just at that moment, not, not because of him, but because the service had played out, we just called an end to it. We said, amen, everybody set forth. And, but he came in there, you know, he was there, and after a moment or so, he got up and he came over to the middle <clears throat> where I was standing, and he hugged me. Not, not the bro hug, the three-pat hug, not the hug, hey, thanks for doing my daughter's wedding hug. He, he did one of those hugs where either he was trying to give me everything he had in me or he was trying to take everything I had in him, Right? hard hug. It was that uncomfortable, long hug if you weren't in the moment. It's not, not describable to you because it wasn't, you weren't there. But, you know, he, he was, it was happening to him. Whatever was happening to him was happening to him. And so I said, what happened to you? He said, when you put that thing in my hand, not just salt, less than a penny a piece. When you put that thing in my hand after all we'd done here today, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything I'd done in my life had been forgiven me. And I've done some stuff, Mike. And God took that away. And you guys talk about the railroad train of the Spirit hitting you at summer games. You talk about stuff that's happened at Emmaus and stuff. And he was definitely having the fire hose. The Holy Spirit was pouring down on him. And he was in the moment. And he has not held back and he has not been silent since that happened. And praise the Lord, because that's what you're supposed to do with that. When you have those moments that you know that you're closer to God than you are at other moments, you're supposed to tell them. That's what the power of God does that. Jesus displays God's power in you so that it can be seen in you. So, so that others can see what God's doing for you. So, so, so testify to your miracles and share your moments and turn your intentions into actions. Oh my goodness sake, have I been around a lot of people in the church that will tell me this. I should do this. But there's not enough time, I don't have enough money, whatever. You know what, our, our, our intentions should, become into, should be turned into our actions. When we say we should be doing something, the next thing we should be saying is, and now I am. I should be reading the Bible, and now I am. I should be praying more, and now I am. I should be giving of myself more, and now I am. I mean, it's, it's, it's moved from here to there. I mean, that's why God gives us his power. I had a fellow in my last church, his name was Ed Nass. Amazing dude. And I, I'm, he came into my office one day, and he's 60 when he, at the time. He lost about 40 pounds. And he came into me, and he points at me. He says, Pastor, I need you to tell your confirmation students something. Usually that's followed with, I need you to tell your confirmation students to quit fiddling around in the donut line. Or I need to tell your confirmation students to move these chairs from here to there. That's usually what follows that. That's not what happened with that. He says, I need to tell you to tell your confirmation students that whatever they do, they should not delay getting themselves right with God. I'm like, whoa, blow me away. I said, what is up? He said, listen, I've been the chair of the finance committee of this church. I've been chair of the administrative board. I've spent my entire life around the church. And until I got this cancer, which he battled me pretty successfully for 15 years, until I got this cancer... I didn't trust God. But when I got this, I started trusting him, and everything's gotten better. Now, let me tell you, I'm looking at a guy that's lost 40 pounds, and that looks like death is at the doorstop, because it was. But he's telling me everything's better. 
That elevator doesn't go to the top, logically. But internally, he's saying, when I started trusting God, everything got better. Tell your kids that. And don't hesitate. Don't delay. I was like, no problem, I did. And I just did it again. So, so, so we, you know, we testify to the miracles in our lives. We, 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 we seek to make our intentions to turn into our actions. We, we testify to the moments we've had in our life. And, and I do want to ask you this, to, to use your capacities and abilities to display God's power. If Jesus displays God's power in you so it can be seen, we need to use our capacities and abilities to share that and show that. And so many people saying, but Mike, there's only 24 hours of, in, in the day. I don't have enough time. No, 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 no. You have plenty of time to do what you know you're supposed to do. Let somebody else watch the cat videos. Let somebody else take care of cable. Let somebody else do some of this thing. You know what you're supposed to do. I, I can give you, I can give you a, a, many stories, but let me tell you one. In one of our earlier services, there's a woman attending named Linda. Twice a month. Linda leaves whatever she's doing, and I don't know, work, whatever, she leaves. She goes over to one of our older members, Lois, who's in her 90s, and she just sits with her. I mean, I don't know if they play Pinocchio. I don't know what they do. I don't know if they're playing with Legos. I don't know what they do. I'm not there. But I do know this, that Linda gives her time because she has it. It's one of the capabilities and abilities uh, that she has. She gives her time, and what Lois says about that time is, my world, my life is better because of Linda. So with your time, you have the ability to display God's power that can be seen in you. Through your time, you can change somebody's life or world. It's possible. You've got 24 hours. How are you using your capabilities and abilities? You can also use your talents. You know, God's power can be seen in you through your talents. You guys have known because this got a lot of press around here. Well, Joy was up here singing a minute, a minute ago, and many of you know that, um, you know, Joy had always worked to try to build a pretty good home, but her house was pretty JV over here, a few blocks from the, from the church. And the Methodist men decided to swarm that thing and do a makeover on that. And, and some at her expense, some at ours, but that's really not important in the story. And we had many, 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 many people go over there. Some of us were, oh, we can run a power washer, we can sweep stuff. But there were talented people there. Dave Peterson brought in a bunch of dirt-moving equipment so the water would quit going into the house. It was causing half the problems. I mean, Mark Woodrick and Brad Ahern replumbed and moved pipes all around there because they're certified plumbers. We had electricians doing electricity. We had tree cutters doing tree, so and all that. But they were using their talents. And, and I tell you that because of this. This is what Joy wrote to me in an email. Joy wrote to me, our house has been transformed and our lives transformed with it through the power of God that we saw and see through the people of this church by using their talents and abilities at my home. So Jesus is displaying God's power and it's being seen in people's capabilities and abilities. You have talents to give. To display God's power. And that's part of the reason you were given them. And, and, and the, la the last thing on this particular moment I'm going to share on this subject is we also have treasure to give. Um, I believe, because I know it's true, that there are people in this congregation 
that have the financial capability and ability to change the world or to change this part of the world. And I've seen it done more than once. I'll tell you one little story. There was a lady in my church, a previous name, Faye Lane. Now, Faye was a woman. She was a teacher. She taught all of her life. And throughout her life, she'd, she'd taken 50% of her salary, 50% of her salary, and saved it and invested it and stuff like that, and farms and stuff like that. That's Dave Ramsey on steroids, right? Okay, she kept that money back. And she didn't want to keep it so it would be in memorandum, in memorial of her. She came into my office one time. This lady was vibrant. I mean, I traveled to her. How old was she when she, we went to Europe? I mean, she was like in her 80s when we went to Israel with her. I mean, this, this lady had it going on. But she came into my office one day. This one I had to sit down. She said, I need to talk to you for a minute. She's very humble. Very, she says, um, I'd like to give the church a little money. I said, okay, Faye, what are we talking about? And she says, well, I have this dream. She had this dream because she'd been in education all of her life. She said, there's these kids that are below this level in reading and arithmetic and all that kind of stuff. And they get help in the schools and the government pays for them. And then there's kids up here, they don't need any help. But it's these kids in the gap. She says, I want to attack that problem and try to raise the gap up. I said, okay. I said, great. I said, what do you want to do? She says, I want to get some teachers that will come over here and the kids can make appointments after school and meet with the teachers and help them in their subject matters. They'd appointments, and they'd be, you know, testing to get them in and all that kind of stuff. I said, okay. And then, of course, I had to ask the preacher's question. How much money are we talking about? She said, well, I'd, I'd like to start it with a million dollars. I'm like, <laughs> okay, a million, a million dollars. She says, yes. So we hired six teachers, six teachers for the Asbury Learning Center to come and start teaching kids with the, that were in the gap educationally. And, and so what they did over a period of time, the 17 years that it's been over, on average, but on the average, these kids that had appointments at 3.30, 4.30, 5.30, 6.30, 7.30, uh, several days a week being done by professional teachers, not by good-hearted souls by me, professional teachers, they have moved on average up one grade. So if they were getting C's, they're getting B's. If they were getting D's, they're getting C's. Okay, because one person had the treasure and she had the ability to give it. And she did it while she was still alive. When she was dead, she gave another $2.4 million to that church. So that was really cool if you were the pastor of that church. Um, but, but the fact of the matter was, is that she allowed God's power to display, be displayed in her. So hundreds of children in the Webster City Community Schools have been changed by that one person who could change their lives. Which if you heard last week, that might make the difference to whether or not some of those kids are incarcerated or not. What a magnificent thing. So we have these things. And God's power can be seen in us through our abilities and capacities to change the world. So what are we supposed to do about what we see? God displays his power so it can be seen in you. And what Jesus says is that Jesus displays God's power so it can be seen in you now, not at a later time. His words are, we must quickly carry out the task assigned by us, the one who sent us. We must quickly. You can't delay. It's got to be some urgency. Um, your life has a purpose. And your purpose is to let people see the power of God in you, in your moment. Don't miss the moment. I, 
I hate it when sometimes people have waited past their moment, but then pick their moment. You've seen these commercials of these people that like were young and gifted and beautiful when they were young, like, like some of these kids up here, and then they, they smoked a lot. And then you see pictures as they've gone through the years. And then they're like 42 and they've got all these apparatus to you. And they're saying, whatever you do, don't smoke. And then it goes to black screen and it says, you know, Susie died at age 42 because of smoking. It's a horrible thing. And they use their minute. They use the moment for the benefit of others. And so I have to say, praise God for that. And I'll say, don't wait so long. You're in your moment right now. You must quickly carry out the task that God <coughs> has given you. God displays his power in you so that you can use it now. Don't, don't wait. What are you waiting for? Do you have Christian urgency in your life? Part of God's mission hinges on your urgency. You have it. So let me take this thing home for you. We've taught you what you're supposed to see. And I want to remind you to remember who you're supposed to see. The guys came up to him and said, who healed you? Jesus. He told them how. And they said, where is he now? He says, I don't know. But you know where he is, don't you? You know where Jesus is right now, don't you? Because where he is in relationship to you is where you want him right now. Remind yourself of that. Where Jesus is in relation to you right now is where you want him. If he's far, it's not because he's moved. It's because you have. If he's close, it's because you've sided right up with him. See, Jesus displays God's power so it can be seen in you. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. If you're looking at the wrong things, change your perspective. If you're living without embracing the purpose that God's given to you, embrace it. If you're living without urgency or in negligence of the moments given to you, just stop and repent and be made ready. And, you know, if you've heard this talk or God has said something to you in your heart and you're having that moment today, I mean, if this is all new and you say, man, I really see it for the first time, then I say claim the moment. Claim the moment to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is no other like him. There is none like him. There will never be another like him. Receive the Holy Spirit that God gives you that blesses you with forgiveness and powers you up for the rest of your life to go on living from day to day. And start at the minute this prayer is said and through the rest of your life becoming the person that God would have you be. Don't wait. Another second. You know, I love what they say about David. He was faithful in his generation. You know why he was? Because it's the only one he had. Let it be said of you that you were faithful in your generation because it's the only one you have. You can't be faithful in the next generation and you were not faithful in the last one because you weren't here. So let us be faithful to the power of God that's seen in us. Let us not wait. Let us not be silent. God, we thank you for opportunity today that you give us every single moment of our lives to know you, to live with you, to serve you. Let the power that you've given in us be seen by others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a look at that. 
What makes Marion Methodist special to me is um, we had been attending another church in the area for quite a long time and just had hit a point where we were looking for something a little bit different for our kids as far as a youth program as well as for ourselves in, in ways we could get plugged in. Um, so we came to Marion Methodist, and, and the day we sat through the sermon with Pastor Mike, it just felt right. It felt, you know, we had come home. We choose to give our gifts to Marion Methodist just to continue um, the things that we've been blessed with, you know, through the people here, through the programs here, um, especially with the youth. Um, Powerhouse and 412 have been a big part of our family, as well as um, with our kids and, you know, their friends that they've brought to Christ through those programs. My name is Lori Beertzer, and these are the reasons I give to Marion Methodist. Will you please join me in worshiping the Lord this way? Will the ushers please come forward? <laughs> 